Hello, this is Mona Tonchev, past president of NCSM, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Reset, Renew, Restore series. Join me and my co-host, John Sangiovanni, as we sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders about how we can reset for the upcoming school year. Listen as we talk to mathematics leaders who can help us think about resetting what has become status quo these past few years. We will learn about their inspiration, perceptions, insights, and perspective. Listeners, fellow mathematics leaders, if you feel like current math instructional practices or student learning seems stuck or stalled, it's time to hit reset. Hello, listeners. I am Mona Tanchev, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. For the end of the series, the NCSM podcast is highlighting some of the speaker sessions that will help us on our journey to reset, renew, and restore this school year. That's right, Mona. This series is a chance to think about a brighter future. It's a chance to think about, well, what has worked? What hasn't? And to think about the pressure to catch up, but without taking shortcuts. And with us today is Dr. Thomasinia Adams, who is a professor of mathematics education at the University of Florida. She is an accomplished scholar, evidenced by her many publications, presentations, external funding, and professional service. That's right. So Dr. Adams is a 30 plus year member of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics and has served grades K-12 as a math coach. She is also the 2020 recipient of the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, our Kay Gilliland Equity Achievement Lecture Award. So welcome, Dr. Adams. Thank you. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about your math story and how did you arrive at your current work? I'll do that, but first I want to offer a little tidbit. Did you know that I was published in NCSM's leadership journal, the first issue of the no. journal? I yes. did not know that. <laughs> yes. That's a great trivia question there. We'll have to take that one. That's awesome. I did not know that. So, yeah. so what year was that? I can't recall, but as a young <laughs> professor, it was one of my very first publications. Right, and you must have been 12 years so, old. <laughs> yeah, I've always been so proud of that. Yeah. That's awesome. So how did I cool. get here? I So I am from a very small town in, in South Carolina, Saluda, South Carolina. And it's where most of my family still reside. And growing up as a child, I know now I use mathematics a lot. Like when my brother and I would be outside playing and we would uh, catch bugs and, and talk about you know how many bugs we caught. And sometimes we would take thread from my mother's sewing box and put string around the legs of the bugs and fly them. And, and we would try to race the bugs and see how high we could fly the bugs. I, we just did all sorts of things because we were outside. We didn't have much to play with. So it was us and nature. And uh, as I reflect on that now, it's like mathematics was always there, but I didn't always realize it. So in school, elementary school, I had phenomenal uh, teachers, a wonderful experience. But I have to tell you, by middle school, I had turned math off. Basically, I had turned everything off because I was bullied a lot in school. And uh, so it wasn't a happy place for me. And high school pretty much wasn't the same thing. I wasn't uh, 
in the I wasn't in the college track like I was supposed to, I think, grow up and, and do what so many students in my community did, which was grow up, get married, have some babies, work in one of the factories in town and just be content with that. And uh, but fortunately, I had a mother, I'm the youngest of eight children, who one day said to me that she wanted me to get out of there. And that's what started me on my journey. And literally, I got the yellow pages because we didn't have internet then. I got the yellow pages and I just started flipping through it. And I saw this thing that said South Carolina State uh, um, College or Loan Corporation. And I called them up and I literally said, my mother says I need to get out of here. And that's how, that's how I ended up getting help to figure out this thing called college. And... Uh, I ended up at a, at a small college, South Carolina State College, because I said to the gentleman on the phone, I need to go somewhere so that when I flunk out, I can get a ride home. And so that's how I picked that college, because it was only 60 miles away from my home. So I'm in college, and I don't do anything for like three weeks. Like, I don't go to class. I, I don't look at a schedule because, frankly, I didn't know how to navigate that space. And uh, my roommate tells me that she's sick of me being there, that I'm depressed. She doesn't know why I even showed up, that I need to do something, or she's going to request a new roommate. And then she says, there's a man in Nance Hall. Why don't you go see him? So I got the college map together, and I found Nance Hall, and I knocked on his door, and, and he was really rude. You know, He yelled at me, and he said, come in, and I came in, I went in, and he said, um, I don't know who's telling students that I'm helping students, but I tell you what, young lady, if you don't do what I say, don't ever come see me again. And he snatched the papers out of my hand that I had received from the orientation. I saw him checking boxes and signing things, and then he shoves it back in my face, and he says, you go over there and you tell them you're a math major. And that's how I became a math major. <laughs> Because wow, that is. I didn't want the professor to be mad at me. Like, it's like, like, what am I doing? He doesn't know that I'm poor. He doesn't know that I just stopped working in a blue jean factory. He doesn't know that my father is illiterate. He doesn't know that I had such low self esteem that literally I didn't know why I was in college. But I figured, okay, so now I have to pretend that I can do mathematics. And I went to his class in the first day of class. Granted, now I'm three weeks behind everyone. But the first day of his class, I came to the realization that Pythagoras was a person. Like, literally, like, oh, my God, it's not just A squared plus B squared equals C squared, something that is in a book. But this is the result of someone thinking about solving a problem. And that day forward, that's what excited me about uh, mathematics, that it is about people um, solving problems and playing and recreating and exploring the world. And had I not had that experience of someone putting me in that environment, I don't think I would have been turned on to mathematics, but that was that was what did it. That's what did it. He didn't care that, you know, about uh, my background. And, and I like to say now to teachers, when I work with teachers, that what students did yesterday Last year, yesteryear, those things don't matter. What can we have to do today? Because that's the experience that I had with Mr. Briggs. He didn't care that I felt like I was a failure and a failure and wouldn't be successful at anything. He just took me as a living, 
breathing being in that, hey, Thomasina, you can do mathematics. So majored in mathematics. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that was part of my journey. And look at you so, now. So, I know, right? <laughs> that is such a good, good story. When you started talking about that and the strings on on insects and such, it made me think my sister and I used to do the same thing with turtles. Um, <laughs> that's how we spent our summer afternoons. But um, that's another story for another day. Well, this series was about highlighting NCSM annual sessions. And unfortunately, we couldn't see you at the annual because Hurricane Ian made its way into Florida and it disrupted your travel. We are thankful that you and yours are safe and sound. Um, yes. So this is a special special session because for listeners, um, they may not have gone to that session. And, and so it's a really great, um, great time to hear from you. So your mm -hmm. session was about coaching teachers to affirm students in mathematics. Yes. Um, and it's centered on student disposition. So tell me a little bit more about what you had in mind for your session. So for my session, I intended to uh, work with the participants to explore why students' uh, disposition is so important and the role that it plays in students' students experiences in mathematics. And one of the analogies that I, I like to use is, is baking cakes. So the first time I baked a cake, it was a total flop. Like it, it was just really not edible. And, um, and, but my mother who gave me the recipe and, and talked to me about it, um, one of the things that she said to me was, hey, don't worry about it. You can bake another one. If you mess up, you can bake another one. And um, I always remembered that because I was feeling so bad about the failure. But she said to me, you have to have experiences doing this. And if you keep doing it, you will become a better baker. And, and that helped me have the confidence that I needed to try it again. Someone saying to me that they believed in my potential, that perhaps I wasn't on the right track at the moment, but they were willing to give me a chance to try it again. You know, I felt like, oh my gosh, I've wasted all of those ingredients and the energy from the stove. And now no one can eat this thing. And my mother is saying to me, but all of that matters in terms of where you were headed. And now, hey, I'm a great cake baker because <laughs> of my mother saying that to me. And so when we talk about dispositions, how do we help students build that confidence in themselves? How do we help them feel positive about uh, their interactions with mathematics? How do we help grow their mind, their, their, their character toward uh, mathematics? wanting to be in, in the mathematics environment, wanting to serve problems, wanting to um, persevere. Like, how do we do those things? Because all of those things are necessary for um, engagement in mathematics, but we have to, uh, we need for students to want to be engaged and want to do those things and be willing to admit that mistakes will happen, uh, misunderstandings will happen, but it's not the end that's part of the journey toward success in mathematics. So I wanted to talk about those things and, and show some videos of, of teachers um, engaged in that work. But in lieu of videos, what I can talk about are ways that coaches can support teachers to uh, position students uh, to want to be successful in mathematics because everybody can admit who wants to keep doing things they're not successful at. Like no one wants to keep doing that. So you 
you have been working with teachers around this, this idea. So with that in mind, what do you think is most misunderstood about student disposition in math classrooms? I think what's most misunderstood is that it does not start with the student. It starts with the teacher. Mm. It starts with the teacher owning and acknowledging their own dispositions, their own narrative around their experiences with mathematics. I mean, I've heard it many, many times. You have two of teachers saying, I don't like mathematics. It's not my favorite subject. I found it hard. And I'm not criticizing those things. Those, those things are people's realities. And I, I respect that. Uh, but I see it as a mission to help turn those things around for teachers. And coaches um, can help do that. So that when those feelings that teachers express and those, those dispositions are, are expressed, coaches can then work with teachers on, on those things so that teachers are confident and uh, sure about the ways that they are presenting mathematics and the ways that they understand mathematics that maybe they did have bad experiences. I've had some bad experiences um, with mathematics and how do we then look at those experiences and turn them around for positives. And so coaches can do that. And so students disposition first starts with the teacher because the teacher is is the role model. The teacher is the person that uh, they, their primary person that they see in the classroom every day. And um, we know that when we are in an audience with people, we are watching. We're watching what people say. We're watching what people do. We are watching how they behave. And so it, it's first the teacher's disposition. What's the teacher's disposition toward being a problem solver? What's the teacher's disposition on dealing with errors in mathematics and accepting the fact that we need to persevere? And if we can help that, if we can support teachers to have positive dispositions, um, we know that that is influential on the students and their dispositions in the classroom. So that was the angle that I was approaching um, this session. And it starts with, you know, when we're talking about these things, I don't like the deficit model. I don't like to start with, you know, I hate math and I don't like math, but let's start with the strengths. Let's start with, okay, you don't like what part of mathematics? And usually when you ask people that, you do find out that it's something in there that they don't like, but it's also something that they do like, mm -hmm. something that they do feel confident about. Yeah, and I'm thinking about, you know, the coaches that I work with um, in our district and thinking about this exact conversation about helping teachers um, with their disposition work and, and thinking about their dispositions. So I'd love to hear from you, and I know our listeners would as well, where does a coach or a math leader um, get started? Like, how do they get started to help teachers work with students' dispositions um, and, and even teacher dispositions for that matter? Mm -hmm. Well, one place to get started is to um, expose teachers to their own beliefs about mathematics and about what mathematics means to them. Um, and, and there are surveys teachers can take. I wouldn't necessarily make it that formal. Um, you, can, you can create an informal survey. We're not trying to do you know, research that, that we will analyze and critique, but we can first just simply ask teacher, what are some of the beliefs uh, that teachers hold about mathematics or beliefs they've heard other people say about mathematics, you know, things that 
traditional sort of stereotypes. Girls aren't good at mathematics. Girls don't like um, to solve hard problems. Boys are better at mathematics, those kinds of um, stereotypes. Because we hear people see uh, say those things and we see it sometimes in the media on some of the television shows and movies, um, who gets cast as the smart person or who gets uh, cast as the silly, dumb person. Um, we see those kinds of things that are produced that influence people. So let's uncover some of those beliefs um, that we see, uh, that we hear in society and that people have. And, and, and that's one way to get started. Let's just have a conversation about, well, what are some beliefs out there that are, that are influencing how things happen in the classroom? Um, a second uh, place to start is teachers, encouraging teachers to uh, take a step back and, and analyze, do some self-reflection. And, and they may do that through recording themselves, either audio or video, recording themselves teaching. They, it's not something they need to necessarily share with anyone, but do some self-reflection on their own teaching. Who are they calling on the most and why? You know, I remember being in school and I could name my classmates and I could guarantee that every class period, this, this young person, uh, one was a, um, a, a young female and one was a young male, and I could guarantee that every class period, the teacher was going to call on those two students. I don't know if the teacher was aware that she was doing that, but a lot of the other students in the classroom, we realized that it, it, you know, we get to class, we know who's going to be the ones that will bring the answers. And, and why is that the case? And so one of the things that teachers can do is, is do a self-reflection of, of their instruction and find those places where they um, can recognize how they might be impacting students' dispositions. Because frankly, when that would happen and I would be in class, my disposition would be, why should I care about doing the homework? because the teacher isn't going to call on me or I don't, it doesn't matter if I have the right answer or not because I won't have the opportunity. And so it, it, it sort of built inside of me a sense of not caring about the experience because I knew that I wouldn't be engaged in the classroom. These are, are sometimes not easy things to do. And that's why I said that we would ask teachers to do it and keep it private to themselves. Yeah, beliefs, like when you think about the equity, the stuff mm -hmm. I've read from Elena Aguilar is that beliefs is a big part of equity work and yes. just acknowledging what our beliefs are. Like I know yes. we use the NCTM productive beliefs. We've used that as a great reflection tool. And if you go to the Coaching Corner website on NCSM, you will find mm -hmm. those as re reproducibles already linked in there. So that's a great place to start. Um one thing we did at the conference um, is we released our newest book in the NCSM Essential Action Series, uh, Culturally mm -hmm. Relevant Leadership in Mathematics Education. Um, and so NCSM continues to focus its effort on advancing culturally relevant practices, mm -hmm. leadership practices, equity and access in mathematics. So how do you think the big idea of student dispositions connects with that work? I think it connects a lot because um, students, well, let me just start with us as people. We want to be in environments where uh, we feel like we belong, that we feel welcomed to be in, 
that we feel like there's a space, there's a space for us. There's a place for me here that my voice is important. My presence is valued. Um, if I'm not here, something is going to be missing that people want and people need. And, and, and that is the same thing that happens with the classroom environment, that the space has to be welcoming to students. Um, it has to be a place where students want to be, and they feel as if their presence is valued, that their contribution to the classroom experience is valued, that they see themselves in, in the experiences that they um, are presented in the classroom. They see their interests uh, presented. I grew up on a farm, and I, I can't think of any single mathematics experience I've had where the context of my life really truly showed up in genuine ways. You know, my father, and I mentioned that he was illiterate, he died at the age of 81 as an illiterate man. But when I look back at his life and the mathematics he used to farm, to do things, for example, <laughs> how far the rows of, of different crops needed to be based on his knowledge of how those plants will grow. Mm -hmm. So corn, for example, needs needs more space than say beans. You know, you can you can plant those close close together because they are vines. And so he did all of this mathematics in his head about, you know, how do you do those things to make sure your crops grow well? Or when he's he was building sheds and the use of geometry and the use of trigonometry, he didn't know those terms, but he applied those things. And yes, I've seen, you know, uh, problems and examples in mathematics of building things, but never in the context of, of we're on a farm and this is how people truly live and make their living. And these are the things that, that people need to know to be um, successful. So I've never seen those things. And I'm not necessarily saying that, that um, that's a, that was a detriment to my mathematical experience, but I tell you what, it would have been a plus. It would have been an anchor. It would have been something that drew me in. It would have been something that helped me to see how mathematics applies to my life. Um, it would have been something that will, would have acknowledged that who I was as a person was important to the narrative of mathematics. And so when we talk about um, equity, making, making sure that our mathematics engagements make space for people, make space for um, the things that people need to use mathematics for um, to live. Um, as I said before, when I, when I discovered that Pythagoras was, was, you know, there's history in mathematics, like it, there's a human side of mathematics. And we, we shouldn't forget that even today, that there's a human side to mathematics. And each and every human in that classroom deserves to see themselves in that human side of mathematics and not just print in a book. What, the, what you just shared, Thomasina, about your father is why this work is so important. Because imagine if you'd been in your classroom whatever grade, fourth, fifth, sixth, talking about area mm -hmm. and started talking about farming, how you could have easily made a connection at the dinner table with your father around the work he was doing day to day 
and what you yeah. seen in the classroom. Like that's what we want our students to see that mathematics is not just this contrived topic that yes. side that, that you'll only do when you're in the classroom, that it's something mm -hmm. that you do all the time. So thank you so much for sharing that story. That's a, I'm going to tell that again. <laughs> the good one. Yeah. Yeah. And as you talk, you know, you made me, you reminded me of how important it is to know our students, to know their stories, but yes. for them to hear each other's stories, because as you hear their stories and they hear each other's, they're reminded that although we have different stories, like mm -hmm. we have so much in common and yes. and connections right as you're talking about your father i'm thinking about mine who was a handyman a carpenter who was a great mathematician and never did advanced math you know what i'm saying and that yes. um th that we all have those common stories and and so that's they're not common but we have stories and, and so mm -hmm. i just want to say thank you for your perspective and insights um and well <laughs> your story it has been a pleasure hearing about your work tonight um, and, and our podcast, and I can't wait to get to your next session. Um, hopefully, that will be not impacted by a hurricane. NCSA right. Manual next uh, next October 2023, Washington, D.C. Yes, um, so I hope it's the end of the hurricane season. Isn't that the end? Like, isn't it supposed to be done? It depends. <laughs> it depends, but yeah, it is November 1st, but we'll see. Yes, That's I right. hope we don't have another hurricane. All right. Well, I know our listeners really got a lot out of that, and I appreciate you so much for your time today. Yes. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.